Now, I know that I don't want to go into the day sermon without telling you and talking to you a little bit about what's currently going on around the world. Um, I've told people right now we're still waiting to see where this lines up. I don't know if you ever do this, but anytime I see something taking place in our world that makes me wonder, hey, could this be the, the word of God coming true? Is I get God's word and I try to find it in the story. And so right now I've told people and I'll say it to you, what I'm watching for and listening to and literally leaning on is the word peace. And the more we hear peace and the more they seek that peace and all the nations coming together and getting war and getting ready to go and attack and pounce. And, you know, I know the U.S. has put people in and now you got people like Turkey and Lebanon and all these other countries coming together and saying Iran that, hey, we're going to we're going to we're going to be a part of this. And as you see that shaping you know, in your heart, you look at an economy or you look at a globe and you kind of get scared. Anybody else, when you hear war and you see that, it kind of makes you nervous. It makes you like, what's going to happen? How many of you get that feeling? The truth is, is anytime it involves Jewish people or Israel, we need to get the word of God out. And so what I'm reading for right now and watching for right now is these armies getting together. And if we get into some great peace treaty or something like that, I'm telling you, we are in a biblical move. And I think you need to watch for that because when the Antichrist is setting up and doing these things, the world's going to go into this rumors of wars and wars all over and, 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 and this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and then there's going to be a, a peacetime. And so I know that I look at this and people say, oh, this invasion means that Christ is coming back. Now, the Jewish people have been targeted since the Jewish people were formed, right? It has happened since Abraham had Isaac and had Ishmael, and this has gone on and raged for centuries you know, I don't want to be one because the Bible says nobody knows the day or the time, not even the Son of God knows the day or the time when he's going to return. Only the Father has that information. But I do want you to understand that we can look at the signs of the time. We can read the word of God, get in the prophecies and see that you and I could be living in one of the coolest generations that has been since Jesus Christ literally walked the planet. We could be living in a generation that sees the return of Jesus Christ. We could be the ones that usher in a revival, a movement of God's spirit in the last days. We could be standing in that and what a cool thought to be. Yes, is it terrifying? Yes, yes. Is it scary? Yes. Does it rock you to the core? Yes. But the truth is we have God's word to illuminate and guide us through these moments. The thing doesn't need to be, is this the end? The thing needs to be, are we ready for the end? Because we can live in a panic of the world's going to do this. And we know the Bible says that the world and all the lust of it are going to pass away. But the Bible also says, but those that do the will of God, what are they going to do? They're going to abide forever. Abide is different than live. Abide is to have ownership. Abide is to have residency. And so when we look at that, it's like, okay, I don't want to sit. And I do want to have a mindset of even so come Lord Jesus, as Paul would pray. I do want to have a mindset that glances at the Eastern sky and wonders which cloud he's going to ride on. I do want to have that mindset, but I don't want to live in a panic that the world's going to end. I want to live in a confidence that when it ends, we're going to be okay, but we need to live today as if the end is coming. And that's how we need to love, treat, and reach out to other people. Last week, we looked at Titus chapter number two. Today, we're going to go to Titus chapter number three. And, and, and we're going to kind of dive in and look at some things that I think are very important. Now, the very first sentence in this is going to make you question, but we're going to dive into it, which Casey, I want you, after you get Titus three pulled up, to go ahead and dial up Acts chapter number five, verse 29. We're going to flash that in just a second. But let's read the first verse. Actually, I'm going to read down with me, if you would, all the way through verse number 10, all right, of Titus. And then we're going to look at some things. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officials. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. I know you're going to struggle with that. We're coming back. Ready? All right. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to the lust and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. Verse number four, I love when it starts with that word, but but what? When God, our Savior, uh, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a birth, a, a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out his spirit upon us through Christ Jesus, our Savior. And because of his grace, he made us right in the sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I 
I want you to insist on teaching so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obeying obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them for people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. What a powerful passage right here of what the modern church needs to be. Things that we need to look at and things that we need to see. If you want another great study on what church should look like, you need to go read Ephesians 4, all right? So write that down. There's a good Bible study for you later. You need to look at, this is what we should look like. If you're trying to, today, you're in in a church exploration where you're trying to find where to land. Ephesians 4, Titus 3, these are good guidelines of how do you recognize, is this a church you wanna be a part of? A church full of love, growing in unity towards Christ. A church that cares about the needs of others. A church, and Ephesians Ephesians 4, that's taking off the old self, putting on the new self, and walking the way that Christ wants them to, where they're teaching and preaching and, and trying to get you built up on truth, where they're doing all these things in love towards the harmony. You gotta get that in mind. If a church is entertaining you, it might not save you. I, a matter of fact, we'll probably close with this statement. A sermon will never change your life, but service always will. You gotta get into a place where we realize that it's not about what comes out of our pulpits. It's about what's coming out of our hearts, what's coming out of our mouths, What's coming out of our actions? What are we? Not what we say we are, but what we prove in the way that we live. We need a living, alive church that is walking in confidence of the illustration and living proof that Jesus Christ is alive and real and working and healing and rescuing and delivering. We need people that stand on the word of God without compromise, but also without condemnation. We need people that look at others and say, There's hope because there's a God. There's hope because he has mercy. There's hope because he has grace. And today, you and I are not much different. We all have one similar need, and that is we have to go through the cross to be made right, and we have to believe in an empty tomb to live right again. Today, we need a generation of believers that say we're going to live as if this is the last day that we get to walk this planet, caring about the people that we come in contact with caring about their souls, their needs, seeing them as lost people that have not an understanding that they have a father who loves them. Orphans who haven't realized that they've been adopted. Prisoners who haven't realized that they've been set free. So let's go back. Let's break this passage down. You ready? The first one starts with government. Now I know in church, that's not really a, a good word, is it? Government, especially when the Bible says five different times for us to obey them. In one passage actually says that God raises them into power. Now that messes with my head sometimes because you see the godlessness in the leadership sometimes, amen, yes? And you look around, you're like, God, how can this be? And I'm telling you this right now, God is going to let evil run its course because at the end of the race of evil is the perfection of God. And when evil has finished and done everything it can do in this world, all that happens is the world is destroyed, but the soul lives forever because evil has no control over you and over me. We're eternally made by an eternal God to live forever, and you don't have to go to hell. That's the reality. Can you go to hell? Yes. Absent Jesus, will you go to hell? Yes. But God did not send his son to die on a cross and love us so that we could beat you up with the thought of hell. He sent us uh, that truth and that promise so that we could lift you up with a promise of love, acceptance, and new life in Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to go to heaven today because you're scared of hell. I want you to go to heaven today because the anthem of heaven is the love of God. And I want you to experience it here on earth and so does God before you get there. We have to go through the love of Christ to be able to stand in the presence of the Father. But look at this, it says... Remind believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient. Now, can I say this? Let's go to Acts chapter 5, verse 29. You got that queued up? But Peter and the apostles reply, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, if you're just reading those verses, absent context, you would think that they go against each other. 
But here's what the Bible's telling us. We are to respect authority, ready, write it down, unless it directly goes against the word of God. Are you with me? We obey government, we obey law, unless it directly violates the truths of God. The things of God are not compromisable. The standards of God are not for sale and they're not debatable. The morality, the morals of God, the character of God is steadfast and consistent. Matter of fact, let's put it this way. Forever, say that word with me, ready? Forever, say it again, ready? Forever his word is settled in heaven. Meaning this, that the word of God is not even gonna change when we get to eternity. That the morals of God are going to be found in eternity. The characteristics of God are going to be lived in eternity. The actions of God are going to be carried out for all eternity. We are not called to obey if it directly violates God's word. Now, I'm going to say this, and I want you to get this. There's a difference between God's word and your opinion and my opinion. There's a difference between God's word and its context and my interpretation. So here it is. Should we submit to a speed limit? Now, you don't want to say yes because all of you are guilty this morning of breaking that. How many of you say violators? Stick your hand up in the air, right? Okay, okay. By mercy and grace, you didn't get a ticket this morning, right? Should we submit to the whole, hey, listen, you can't just take what you want from somebody else. You know what I found is most law, most, not all, most law is founded in the 10 laws the 10 commands that God gave Moses. The thou shalt nots and this is what you should. Matter of fact, used to in our time that hung in every courthouse. It was there visible in every courtroom. It's been since attacked. Why do you think it is? Listen, it's not just the law of God that's under attack. It's the law that governs the United States that's under attack. Now, I, I, let's, let's take a step back. If we were in a political science class, which we're not, so I'm not going to keep you here long, and if we were studying history, we would understand that right now the Constitution of the United States is under severe attack. The standards of which built our country are under severe attack. One thing that people don't understand is those standards quote scripture and those standards are based in thesis of scripture and that God had established himself and founders in America established a nation, one nation independent, yes, individual, yes, created equal, yes, by who? God. And so we got to understand that in our lives and in our world that the standards of God are under attack. The Constitution is under attack because the standards of God are represented there. You live in one of the freest nations on the face of the planet. You live in a place where you can have religious freedom. You can stand and have your own opinion. You have a right to speak. You have a right to free will. You have a right to choose. It's not different in America than it is in heaven. You have a right to a choice. You have a right to an opinion. You have a right to stand in your own will. But the truth is the same in America as it is in God. If you break the law, there's consequences. You can't misuse it. How many of you understand? Say yes. And God's saying, look, you have to obey the government of your land. You have to be in obedience. But Peter gave us the exception. You go with God rather than human anytime. There's no such thing. And I, every time we say this, we lose people. The Pope does not have more authority than God's word, nor is he closer to God than you and I. He's a man just like us. I know if you're a woman, you're like, well, I'm not a man, but he's human just like us, right? He, he has no greater authority than any other person. I know that goes against a lot of teaching and that goes against a lot of confirmations that many in this room may have been raised by, but you and I need to understand that there's not a pastor on the planet. There's not a preacher or a teacher or a prophet or an apostle or anyone who has authority to change, alter scripture. It is written by God, inspired by God, authorized by him, and it is a no trades bar. You cannot compromise scripture. Matter of fact, there's a verse in Revelations that say those that add to and take away, they actually get eternal punishment for that. And you're like, oh, well, this. And, and normally when I preach this, I get attacked on versions. So can we take a moment and just park right here? Just for a second, I am so tired of people bringing a King James Version or a new King James Version and 
beating me down saying that we don't preach the word of God because we're not using a version. And what they don't understand is the version they're beating me with is three versions in and it's still not accurate because it's not exactly what the Hebrew and Greek and Arabic texts would say. And yet they say, this is the word of God. No, his word is established. It's gonna get interpreted. Preaching, every time you preach and you teach, you're interpreting God's word. Be very careful that you don't misinterpret. How do you not misinterpret? You study, you know, you obey, you practice. Does that make sense? You study, you know it, you obey it, you practice. You know why that's important? It's because a lot of people want to argue the things of God. We'll get into it, but they never want to live them. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I have no time for somebody who wants to throw God down my throat, but I can't see them in his actions. I can't see it in her actions. I have no time to argue the things of God while people are going to hell and you're trying to prove you're smarter than the next person. There is no room for the Pharisee in the house of God because the Pharisee will crucify Jesus because they're more interested in what they look like than they are interested in what he is. And so understand this. We got to get into our mindsets that you and I cannot take somebody else's word for it. Just like you cannot believe that the constitution says there's a separation of church and state. It does not exist. It came from a letter. Now this isn't a political message, but this is simple. If you're not careful, you'll take somebody else's word for the speed limit and wind up with a ticket. How many of you got the GPS that puts the speed limit in a little box in the side? How many of you have found that that GPS doesn't always have it right? And when you get pulled over and you tell the officer, my GPS said it was 65. He doesn't care. Why? Because the sign said 55. Can y'all tell this is a true story in my life? <laughs> like, look, it's right here. And I have my cruise... Control set nine over, because I know y'all don't pull people over nine over. <laughs> but my nine over of speed limit that's not turns into 19 over the speed limit that is. And you know what that is? A major violation. You know how I learned that? Because somebody who knew the law, told the law, enforced the law. And me being ignorant to the law did not keep me from the consequences of the law. Now you understand this. Listen, church, the Bible even says that nobody will stand before God and say, I did not know you because he says I was in everything. Ignorance is not an excuse because you have free will, the ability to choose. And God says, hey, we gotta be obedient. Now, I, I'm not gonna lie. Can I, be, can I be totally honest with you? When God laid this sermon on my heart, I wanted to skip verse one. Like, well, let's not deal with this because church gets all bent out of shape. When we talk about submitting to authority, I was telling somebody this, never in my life, the end of chapter two of Titus, can we go to there? The last verse of Titus, chapter number two, gives authority to a pastor. And in that, it says we have to teach the things, that's God's word. We have to encourage believers to do them. In other words, we gotta coach. Teach and coach. And you have the authority to correct them when necessary. In other words, part of my calling is to walk into somebody's life and say, that's not right. All right, now listen. In today's society, you get abused for that. You get beat up for that. If I stood here right now and preached certain truths of God to you, people that are opposed to those truths would literally be angry. I heard Jeremy Morton say this, and I, I wrote his quote because I love it. When we obey Jesus... The word of God will confirm our lifestyles and affirm our behaviors and our feelings. But when we disobey Jesus, the word of God will confront our lifestyle and go against our beliefs, behaviors, and feelings. Somebody today that's living right with God and, and, and saying, you know what, I'm submitting to government. I'm submitting to the authorities of my life. will say, amen. Somebody that doesn't like it will find another church. They'll go to that church and they'll complain about the church that they left. They'll find a fault in that church. They'll find a fault in that person. Somebody that doesn't like their counselor's advice will go to another counselor. And at some point you need to realize that you're not searching for a church. You're searching for a social group that will agree with letting you stay the same without requiring accountability. 
And in your life, I tell you, I was talking to Garrett, one of our elders, every Sunday before church, he meets me in my office and we pray. And, 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 and then today I took a little bit longer than normal and I was a little bit late coming in. I walked into a very quiet auditorium that everybody was just standing there staring and it was very weird. I looked at Emily and I was like, how long have y'all just been standing here staring, you know? It, it, it got to me a little bit, but I understand that in that meeting, there's power that happens in those little five and 10 minute conversations. And one of the things that I told him that discourages the most in ministry is the fact that you have no ability to coach anymore. No ability to look at people and say, you can be better. If we try to coach a kid, the parent comes down on us. If we correct a kid's behavior in the middle of youth for talking, a parent gets mad. You know, you, you shouldn't have called my kid down. Your kid was keeping a lost person sitting around them from hearing the message of God and I'm going to stop it every single time because your pride does not have a right to stand in front of the need of somebody else's life. And you say, well, okay, you know, the people that say, yes, that's good. Well, amen. But people that mm, don't like the scripture and don't like authority and don't like anybody over them, you will get angry. And I'm going to tell you this right now. When God's word comes out in pure form, that's pure form. Can we go against this? No, it's pure form right there in front of you. If it comes out and you don't like it, it's not God's word that needs to change. It's me. Now, how many of you have ever read the word of God and not liked what it had to say? Yes. I have people that come into the times that I'm preaching to try to make it obvious that they do not like me. And I have to stand up here and I have to realize that while they're nodding their heads back and forth or laying down and taking naps while I'm preaching and, and doing these things or exiting or talking to everybody around us or doing all that stuff that they consistently do, I have to remind myself that it's not about that one person who thinks they're too good. It's about the other people who want to know and hear what God has to say. And so in my mind, there's this compromise that takes place, even standing on this stage sometimes that says, I want to walk off and leave because if they don't care, why should I? But you got to realize that there's always going to be those that go against God to try to be God themselves. But we need to raise other people to believe that there's a God who is a shepherd, which means in total control, has total rights and can lead and guide. And let's rescue them and let the others just be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because I'll be honest with you, God will go against me. How many of you say, yes, the Holy Spirit has gone against me at times? Anybody felt that? Feels good, doesn't it? Not really. You know, when it feels good is when you finally say, yes, Lord. I mean, think about this. The little boy laying in his bed had a sleepless night until he finally said, here am I. I hear you. He keeps running in and saying, are you calling my name? No, I ain't calling. Keep hearing somebody call my name. Are you calling my name? No, hi. The next time you hear it, son, surrender. How many sleepless nights do we have because we're not yielding to the Holy Spirit in our lives? How many sleepless nights? How much confusion are we blaming on other people in our lives because we want control of our lives? We want control of our kids. We want control of everything and we're not letting God have control. And so therefore, when the Holy Spirit moves, we quench him and we try to take control because if we lose control, something bad's gonna happen. But I'm telling you this right now, the church, Christians have been in charge of the church long enough and it's time to give it back to Christ. And because we've been in charge long enough, we are literally ruining the name of Christ in the eyes of a world. And there needs to be a time that we just surrender and say, okay, yes, Lord, whatever it is. You know what? I almost made this today. Sit with somebody you don't know Sunday that I knew you would revolt. I almost, when we were standing, I had this moment that I was like, okay, go find somebody you don't know and sit with them today. Now, let's be honest. How many of you that would make you extremely uncomfortable? My hand is high in the air. It's easy for me to do up here because I'm here and there's nobody to sit with. All right. But the thing is, it, it, how many of you say, yes, that would be a little awkward. But I'm, I'm gonna tell you this right now. How many times do you see Jesus leave the people he knows to hang out with the people that did not know much about who he was? You gotta get out of those comfort zones, right? Authority says I care about others, not just myself. Authority says I obey, I do this. I don't have to like it, but if it doesn't oppose God's standards, the word of God says I am, in verse number one, go back, I am to submit to the government and its officers. Obey them, Right? Now, I hate that that's point number one because some of you have already shut it down, right? Open back up. Right now, let's go to prayer and let's just simply say in our hearts and minds, God, don't let Satan hinder your truth in my life. God, let your word be authority and change my mind, right? I don't always agree with the speed limit. Anybody else say amen to that? 
I don't think there's ever a four-lane highway that should be under 55 miles an hour. But they do it. The city of Newmarket. Right? I mean, I went through there with murmuring complaint the other day. Coming out of Knoxville down 11E, I'm doing my business and just paying attention, listening to my jam and going down the road. And all of a sudden, I saw a police officer had somebody pulled over, and there it was in front of the church in Newmarket. And I was like, they shouldn't be allowed to blah, 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 blah. But the truth is, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what's true. Right? Number two, look at this. It goes on and it says, hey, they should be obedient, always ready to do what's right. All right, verse number two says, they must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Write this down. You can learn about, a lot about someone just based on the way they talk about other people. You can learn a lot about who they are based on the way they tear down others. Let's put this this way. You have zero right according to God's word to tear down people to other people. You have zero word, zero to stand on, to stand and say that this person's this and this person's that and this person's this. You and I have only one right and one calling in our life, and that is the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart should be pleasing to God. The words we say should edify and build up. They should strengthen. They should go. They should never be abusive, never be slanderous, never be scandalous. They should never try to promote ourselves by putting someone else down. If someone is constantly talking to you about others, ask yourself when they're going to start talking about you. The Bible says, hey, listen, the church needs to be absent slander and absent quarreling. We said it last week, and I'm going to echo it again. If you've got a problem with someone, the word of God says one thing, go to them. Not go around them, go to them. I mean, in other words, can we watch these? These are phrases that are signals that you need to stop the conversation. Hey, I want to tell you something, but I don't want you to tell anyone. Well, stop. Let me ask some questions. What is this about? So-and-so, over. Let's go get so-and-so. Because the Bible says that people that cause divisions, you warn them once or twice, but then you stay away from them. Why? Because a divided house will not stand and the church of God is falling apart, not because Satan's attacking it, but because we are divided and not standing in the authority and under the umbrella of Jesus. And at some point, we've got to understand that we never have a right to tear down other people. Matter of fact, you can also tell the character of someone who could throw somebody under the bus, but bites their tongue. Now, how many of you have ever had that moment where you've heard what somebody was saying about you and you were like, are you kidding me? Let me just tell you what I know. How many of you have had that thought? Keep it a thought, take it to God and don't let it come out your mouth. I say this all the time. There are certain things that you should take to your grave, the sins of others. All right, are you with me? Now, if somebody's being abused and different things and somebody's in danger and those things are happening, you need to go report to authority. Let's not mis misuse this. If you're being abused, you need to come. We'll help you, right? I, I just literally, we will help. If somebody's in addiction and at the point of taking their life or at the point of overusing and you don't know what to do, you need to seek help. All right, matter of fact, even the government says there's three things that cannot be held in confidentiality. You need to remember this. Number one, if somebody is a threat to themselves or other people. Number two, if somebody is a threat to national security. Number three, if somebody is saying that they're going to kill themselves, you have to speak up. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Matter of fact, if somebody comes to me and says they're going to kill themselves, I'll ask them, are you serious? If they say, yes, I'm really thinking about it, 911 is the next move, and then we will talk. Don't call 911. I cannot help it. I am not going home tonight and hearing that you killed yourself and I did nothing. We are going to get you help and work from there. You say that's harsh. I'm going to tell you I'd rather be harsh than find someone dead. Anybody say yes to this? All right, you got to understand that we're not saying that if somebody's beating on their wives that you should just turn an eye. We're not saying if somebody is doing these things that are illegal that you should just be down. No, the Bible says God does not like an unjust witness. You've got to be fair and you've got to testify to what is true. But what we are saying is this. There are going to be people in your life that you hear their dirt or come to you and say, I made a mistake. And by the grace of God, if Jesus took our sins to the grave, we should do it for others too. 
If he took them to a cross and killed them there and he, he threw them away, then in our minds, we should not look at others and say, you don't deserve this. Slander is when we choose to tear someone down, where we choose to put ourselves above others. And Paul said it so many times. Don't judge yourself by an unfair scale. Don't look at yourself as better than anyone. Don't compare yourself to others. Do your job. Stay right with God in your life. Love them, care for them, and believe in what the power of Jesus can do in anybody. And I think that comes from point number three. You got to remember where you came from. Look at this if you don't. He says, hey, instead they should be gentle. What's it mean to be gentle? Approachable and considerate. Approachable. It doesn't mean you have to agree. Approachable and considerate. In other words, you can come to me and I'll consider your feelings. Now, am I good at that? Not always. How many of you need to work on gentleness? Yes. How many of you know somebody that needs to work on gentleness? Now, don't raise your hand on that. All right. Yeah, that was a thing. They're like, you know, like that person. No, listen, gentleness can be tough. But you know where gentleness is? It's a fruit of the spirit, not a fruit of me and you. I mean, I am not naturally gentle, neither are you. We are naturally defensive, are we not? We call it survival of the what? You're the top of the food chain, right? You're the, the top of the predator. You're, you're the, it's our mind. We got those responses. If somebody backs me into a corner, I'm going to what? All right, some of you come out swinging. Some of you go freeze. Some of you fawn and try to impress them. I mean, we got all kinds of different things that happen. We're not going to get into the psychology that has us so messed up, but get a, get a therapist and a counselor and work through it. It's true. Gentleness does not come natural. It comes through a right standing with God a surrender to the Holy Spirit. Gentleness, he says, hey, instead we should be gentle and practice humility. You know what humility is? Kindness. All right, I heard somebody say this. I wish this was my own. Kindness is the person that sees the person on the side of the road and notices what they're going through. You're kind if you feel bad for the person that has a flat tire. How many of you understand that? If you don't feel bad for the person that has a flat tire or you just blade through and you don't see that, then there might be an absence of kindness in your life. Kindness sees the need. It sees what someone's going through. You know what love does? Pulls over, opens the door and helps. Now, do we live in a society where that's always safe? No. I don't want anybody going out here and saying, hey, you need to practice this discernment, knowing when the Holy Spirit's saying yes and when he's saying no. You get the gut feeling that says something's off here, trust the Holy Spirit, keep going, call somebody for help. But if you get that pull that says, hey, you see that person, you keep seeing that person, yeah, I want you to help that person trust the Holy Spirit. How many of you got that? Say yes. Discernment cannot happen if we don't have our eyes on God. Discernment can very easily be taken away. Matter of fact, we're going to go through a list very quickly in the next scripture where it shows these things that, that we used to be and what it does to us as we are these things. And so understand, kindness says, I see what you're going through. Love says, I pull over and I get out. Kindness says, I know that you're hungry. Love says, I'm going to feed you. Kindness sees it. Love carries it out. God in his love and kindness, he recognized our needs and loved us by sending his son. That, what is Romans 5 eight? That God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were a sinner, Christ died for us. Aren't you thankful that God in his love, his kindness said, you're a sinner in his love said, we're going to do something about it. A church can be kind, but not loving. Kind says, good to see you today. Love says, what's your name? I know I've asked you 10 times, but I really want to know. And beyond that, would you want to go to my small group? Would you want to go out to eat without a selfish ambition? Because I know what some of you single guys are sitting here thinking, well, I'm going to practice love today and I'm going to go ask her to go to lunch and not because you actually care about her. It's because something went off in your mind like Adam and said, whoa, maybe that's the one. Kindness says, I see your need without thinking of myself. Love says, I want to meet your need without expecting anything in return. Does that make sense? All right, so God in his grace and his mercy, his love and his kindness poured himself out for us and thank God he did that. And we need a church that's practicing these things. Look at this, he says, be gentle, be kind. Kindness says, I see what you're going through. Love says, I'll do something about it. Here's number three. Remember where you came from. Once we too... I want you to write these words down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna point them out to you. Ready? Make a list. Anybody else in here a list person? Make a list. Number one, foolish. All right, can we write this down? You know what foolishness is? We didn't know. I mean, when you were 16, 
there were things you thought you knew that you didn't know. Am I right? There were things your parents knew that you didn't know. And how many of us, when we were 16, went against our parents? Because we were what? Foolish. Now, I don't, I'm not telling you if you're 16, you're foolish. I'm not. God did. All right, but I'm saying, listen, at time, if you're 38, can you be foolish? I mean, as a matter of fact, absent knowing God's word, we're foolish to the things of God. I mean, we, we need to understand them and go a little bit deeper. He, hey, but once we were foolish. I'm, I'm so glad God used that past tense. There are areas of my life that I'm no longer foolish because I've been educated. And I'm not saying I've been educated because I got a degree in it that a university gave me. I mean, I, I could not find the university that would give me a degree in overcoming stupidity. But the thing is, is I know that in my life, there's certain stupid things that I've done that God has delivered me from through the knowledge and understanding of his word by the gift of his Holy Spirit, teaching me, guiding me, and the blessing of his people around me to coach me. How many of you can say, today you have been educated on things that used to, you were foolish in? Say yes. Yeah, amen. He said, once we were foolish, means you didn't know. Then he goes, disobedient. Write this down. Foolish says I didn't know. Disobedient means I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you're thinking. When you have an I don't care attitude, your life is in danger. Your relationships are on rocks and edges and cliffs. You know, I, I mean, sometimes in your marriages, you got to understand that it's not all about me. It's not all about you. And, 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 and no, we're not, you don't need a marriage where it's like you're disobeying me, but you do need a marriage that says, I knew what you wanted and I should have taken that into consideration. I should have been gentle, considerate of your needs. Y'all find this true? Now, when it comes to God, sometimes we're foolish and we trip up. You know what they, we call that? Sin. But sometimes we're flat disobedient. You know what we call that? Transgression. When we know what we should do and we didn't, it didn't. when we go nine miles above the speed limit, 10 miles, whatever, y'all fill in the blank. When, when, when you're sharing off somebody else's plate at a buffet, but you're not playing for your own buffet. Let's just put that out there. All right? Are you with me? Because I know it's easy. We normally like to pick on the drug addicts, alcoholics, and sex addicts. We like to pick on the ones that have those things. Well, you shouldn't do that. But what about the time you took a roll off somebody else's plate and didn't pay for it? You know what that is? Disobedience. You're just as much a thief as somebody who robs a bank. You might as well have robbed a bank. I'm just I'm joking, all right? The thing is, is like the sin is equal. All right, understand some of you, please don't take that and do it. All right, here it is. Look at this, it goes on and it says, we were misled. You know what misled means? Deceived, write it down, misled, deceived. You know what that means? I can't see. Isn't that what happened? All right, so you got the first one, foolish, I, I didn't know. Disobedient, I didn't care. You got misled, I can't see clearly. Eve standing at a tree and Satan saying, did God say you would really die? You're not gonna die, you're gonna be like God. She can't see clearly the truth. Now there's gonna be an enemy that misleads you and I understand this, that we've been there in our lives. There's been times that I believed in something. I mean, how many of you have ever fallen for the get skinny quick card, Right? Or the get rich quick scheme. Anybody ever fall prey to those? You know, anybody else ever get an email from the Prince of Nigeria? You know, y'all remember those way back in the day? Or from Lagos, and they're gonna give you all these things. Like, and you, you sit there and you get that email and you're thinking, oh, I can get rich quick. I mean, in other words, let's play it this way. If you have an addiction to the lottery, stop it. Right, stop it. It's a, it's a misleading trap. But I could be in $1.76 billion. You have the chance of getting struck by lightning over five times in your lifetime before you have a chance of rich in that. Let me tell you what the lottery is. It's a tax on poor people. It's a way to take more money that the government can't get on your tax return. You're saying that's harsh. We're saying this. I'm not saying if you're casually, you have fun. I'm simply saying some people are losing their life because they believe that the lottery will save it. But I promise you this. There is nothing that will set you up financially more than trusting Jesus, going to work, tithing, and doing what's right with your money, living in your means, and watching God bless it. You say, but that takes a lifetime. It does but I'd rather you have a lifetime of building wealth than a lifetime of losing it to the wealthy. Does that make sense? Come on, are you with me? Now, am I condemning you if you've ever bought a lottery ticket? Absolutely not. I'd lie if I say I never did. All right, you got that? 
I just said that on TV. All right, but the reality, not real TV, Facebook. All right, here it is. Understand this. You and I have to watch because all of a sudden, Satan will say, did God really say you have to go to church every Sunday? And another believer will say, nah, you don't need church. You don't need it. I don't go. By the way, can I tell you this? Anytime somebody tells you they don't go to church and they have a right relationship with God, just start interviewing their life. I mean, literally, how's your marriage? And by the way, if you're gonna ask that question, don't ask him or her, ask the other person. How, how, how's your finances? What are you doing with those? Where are you serving God actively? Well, I pray for people. I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of people I wish would stop praying for me because I'd rather them get right with God than to act like they're right with God praying with me. Get on your own stuff and then get into mine. Don't bring your demons into my world. Does that make sense? Like uh, there's, there's some people that, uh, you know, they, you, they, I, I look at them, they got that smile on their face. I love you, Pastor Josh. And in my heart, it's like, run. You love them, but you don't. You, you, listen, Satan is good at misleading, making it to where you can't see. Matter of fact, can I tell you this? Here it is, here it is. If you got a password on your phone that your husband and wife don't have rights to, uh-oh. If you, got a, if, you got a, if you got a password to your social media accounts that they can't log into, uh-oh. You know, it's like, why is it that you don't want something seen? You know what is illegal? Bait and switch. But how many of you have ever felt like you've been baited and switched? You know, come to this and you're gonna get this and then you get there and it's like, uh-oh. Jordan and I, I told you about it a couple weeks ago. Jordan came to me and she goes, hey, five restaurants are doing sampling downtown Sevierville. Do you want to go? Absolutely. Food, let's do it. On the street, love it. Let's go. We get down there, we walk in, and as we're walking up, instead of all these vendors set up, I was, how many of you have been to the Bluegrass Festival and Barbecue and Bluegrass in Sevierville? You know what I'm talking about? Dusty, I've ran into you there, right? Like, Barbecue and Bluegrass, it's really, really good stuff, all right? And all these vendors, anybody else love the fair, not because of the rides, but because of the what? All right. So that's my expectation. Walk up and it's formal set tables with strangers that are twice our age. We walk in and all of a sudden, they, as we're walking in, they say, don't forget to bid. I'm like, Jordan, this is a fundraiser. This is an auction. We're young and broke and we're at an auction in downtown Sevierville. We thought it was about food, but it was about raising money. Now, were we angry with it? Absolutely not. I won in the silent auction a huge box of cookies. I was so happy. <laughs> All right. I wanted those cookies. Jordan was like, yeah, it's got this little stuffed animal. We'll give that to Canaan. Oh, yeah, that's my reason. That's what I'm bidding for. It's not the Reese cookies and the chocolate chip and the brownie and all this. It's not that the ba- that little sign said the basket is full to the bottom. You ever got the bait and switch where you think it's a full basket and then you pull it out and half of it's stuffing? Yeah, it's not. Listen to me, I'm telling you this right now, that's misled. And you know what sin is? A temptation where you're being misled. You can't see the end. You can't see the result. You can't see what it's going to to do to you. So Satan says, this is gonna be fun. But God's saying, no, 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 this is gonna destroy you. Satan says, it's just one hit. God says, it's the total start to the path of destruction. Satan says, it's just missing one time. Can I tell you something that's real? If you're not sick, and I mean this, and I should say this in second service, we probably will because it won't be online and it won't be so scrutinized. Ready? Listen to me. If you are not deathly ill or out of town, you should be in a church every single Sunday. You know why? Because all it takes is one to get out of a habit. Agree with that? Does anybody else in here disagree with me that sleeping in is amazing? Does anybody, John says no, because he works third shift, all right? How many of you would be honest that the 11 o'clock midnight snack somehow tastes the best? But is it good for you? How many of you realize that turning on your Netflix while you're trying to go to sleep might be a bad idea? Why? Because you think, I'm just going to get, you know, I'm just going to watch one. And the next thing you know, that was Friday and now it's Sunday morning, right? Hey, listen, don't be misled. And some, at some point, the Bible says we've all been misled. What about this? And not just being misled, it says, and became slaves to many lusts and pleasure. 
You know what that is? That's malice. That's evil character. Slaves to lust and pleasure. I, I don't have time to get into this right now. And, 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 and I'm telling you, you need to get in a small group. You need to go to Tuesday nights. You need to be active in recovery and restoration things. You need to get a coach and do this because you got to understand that your mind changes when it comes to pleasure sensors and things that set off the endorphins and set off all these things that are triggering your desires in your life. It's not just a decision. It literally takes a physical effect. And when the Bible says you become a slave to desires and pleasures, if you're not careful and you watch enough porn, it will reprogram your mind. Matter of fact, a literal study was done over 20 years ago where they x-rayed the minds of men, the group of 20 to 40 men that had no access to pornography, and they x-rayed the minds of 20 to 40 men who had total access, unlimited access to pornography over a length of time. And the study concluded that by the end of the study, the people who had no access to it but had access to knowledge and literature and understanding, their minds were strong and firing and doing the things they needed to be but they were shocked by the end of the time that the pornography people that had all that pornography introduced to them was done, that their minds had literally had dark places and had literally transformed in shape. And you're sitting there and you're saying, hey, this is no big deal. That is deceived, misled. Be careful, you'll become a slave. Now, if you've ever been in any type of addiction, sometimes you eat and you don't know why. Sometimes you mindlessly play video games all day long and you don't know why. Sometimes you binge watch for hours and you don't know why. Sometimes you drink, you don't know why. Do drugs, you don't know why. Dial up and you don't know why. You cheat and you don't know why. And you're wondering at some point what's going on. And then the enemy that misled you, then the enemy that deceived you shows up and says, you're dirty, you're worthless, and nobody would like you if they knew who you were. Why don't you just end it? You'll never be used by God. You're a slave. The truth is this, the slaves, the masters of the world, the masters of hell will keep you under condemnation, but the master of heaven will set you free. Like Abraham Lincoln with the Emancipation Proclamation, Jesus came down and declared all the guilty free, all the dirty clean, all the broken healed, all the worthless worthy, all the nasty holy, all the far from godly. And that is what he wants to do. And he's saying, hey, don't remember where you came from. Don't remember. Look at this. It says, hey, you envy. Our lives are full of evil and envy, never satisfied, always wanting more, especially what your neighbor has. And then it says this, and we hated each other. You know, you, you say, I don't hate anybody. You know, you know what hate in disguise is? Pouting. All right, let, let me put it this way. You pout when you don't get your way. That's, that's a form of hate. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. I'm not talking to you. I'm holding a grudge. Some of you are looking at your spouses right now, and I'm, we'll talk after. But the reality, he said, no, we won't. <laughs> Did you hear it? He's like, no, we won't. That's the guilty, right? <laughs> there it is. We know, but here's the thing. Sometimes we get in that, and, and, and you don't necessarily hate your wife, but in that moment, you have a grudge, and you're like, I'm not talking to you. I'm pouting, right? We do it in church. We do it. How many of you have ever been a powder? Let's be honest. How many of you have ever just, you might not have stuck your thumb in your mouth, but you can really shut down if it doesn't go your way. Where are you at? Stick your hands in the air. I'm not going to be alone in this. All right, there we go. All right, you know what? Hey, listen, that's who you used to be. It's not who you are now. I mean, I love we get to that. We're envy and we hated each other. And I love that verse four starts with a new list. But, but, can I give you another list? This is the list that matters. This is the list that changes everything. I wrote down just a few words. I want you to get them. I'm going to give them to you quick. Ready? We got nine minutes and we're out the door. Probably sooner. Don't, don't time me. From God our Savior. Here it is. Verse one. The word number one. Write it down. He revealed. He revealed to us. He revealed his what? His kindness and his love 
Oh, I see the need, and I'm going to pull over. I see the hurt, and I'm going to open the door. I see the hunger, I'm going to cook a meal. I see the broken, I'm going to heal. He loved. He revealed, right? That's kindness and love. Look at this. He goes on and he says, here's the next one. He saved. I don't, I'm so glad that God didn't just say, I'm perfect and you're not. I'm holy and you're not. I'm glad that God said, be ye holy. Because I am holy. You can be God. I, anybody else in here glad that God didn't just reveal that we were broken, but instead he said, I'll save you. You cry for help, Peter, I will pick you up and you will walk on the same waters I walk on. You will surf the waves like I surf. I am thankful today that we serve a God who doesn't remember who we were, but instead sees the possibilities of who we can be. I like this next one. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Here's the next thing. He washed I, I'm not going to lie, when I sat here and I studied this and I got this list of five things that he did, I saw this like, this process. My daughter's sick. Last night she was running a, a temp and, uh, and so mom came in and said, hey, Canaan, sweetie, why don't we get a bath? You know, and Canaan normally would say no, but temperature's 102.7 and how many of you have ever been where you feel sick and it's just something about getting in that bath? You know, and I promise you, without telling her anything, that girl went in that bath and came out a different girl. Energetic and revived. Mom met her needs and, 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 and we, we did. We waited on that girl as if she was royalty last night. She would look at me, Daddy, I need another sip of Sprite. Now I say it wrong. I know it's Sprite. And I'd go get her little princess cup, and that's literally what it says with a straw, and I'd bring it over to her, and she'd say, not too much, Daddy, it'll bubble up my nose. And Okay, sweetie, here we go. <laughs> she would take a sip, and I'd pull back, do you want another one? She'd take another one, and I'd go put it back. Hey, Daddy, I need another sip of Sprite. What happened is, is we revealed to her, hey, sweetie, lay on the couch. We know you're not what you normally are. We know you're not what you should be. So in our love and our kindness, lay down. Let us show you our love. But when mom walks in and says, I want to help, not literally saying it, but living it, let's get a path that's different. At some point in your life, you got to thank God, not just that he said, hey, lay down, you're not what you need to be. In other words, Paul would write it this way, die to yourself. The not did God just look at you and say, hey, I'm going to take care of you here. He said, hey, I'm going to save you. I see you have a need. I'm going to meet that need. But then he said, hey, you're going to feel better if we take a bath. Let's wash. Let's get that sick feeling off of you. You've been clammy and sweaty all day long. Let's just wash that off. Let's just rinse that. Hey, your sins are as scarlet. They're dirty. They're red like crimson. Let's just wash you and let's just get you in a bath so you can get out feeling different than you used to feel. Clean, holy. And at some point in our lives, we got to realize that it's one thing to let people know they need a Savior. It's another thing to let them know that they've been washed by that Savior and the label of the world, no longer the stench of the world, no longer resonates in their life. But instead, what was red is white as snow. What was dirty is clean. He revealed, he saved, he washed us. And what used to be doesn't have to be anymore. But he didn't stop there in this progression. Keep reading. The Bible says in the next one, and I'm going to have to look up there. He generally, here it is, poured out the Spirit on us through Jesus Christ. Y'all see in this progression? Let me show you. Let me save you. Let me wash you. Let me pour into you. Let me empower you. Let me give you 
never thought you could have, which you've never deserved, never earned. And I'm telling you this right now, and I think the church needs to get this. It is no longer that you are the one living in this world. It's the power of a living God that lives in you and through you in this world. You were once an empty vessel, but not anymore. You were once a jar of worthlessness and dirty, but he has taken the water that they washed their hands in and turned it into a new wine. And now you are fit to be served at parties so that people can say, you've saved the best for last. And I don't know about you, I messed up about 35, 36 years of my life. And I just believe that the last half, if I get the 80 years, if the last half is what I have left, that God is going to save the best for last and what he's going to do. We're going to go out strong. We're going to fight. We're going to keep faith. We're going to finish. Is anybody else in here today that says my past might not have been where I wanted to leave, but by the grace of God, the best is still yet to come because God has filled what used to be nasty with something that is holy and the spirit of God has been poured out in me. So Satan, take note. Your lies have no place here. You're, you're, you're just misleading, deceiving. You're, you're God you're tearing down. Your brokenness has no place here. I've been washed by God, but God didn't just wash me and set me on a shelf as show and tell. He washed me and filled me as if I'm his favorite mug that he wants to use on a daily basis to drink his cup of coffee. God cares today about who you are, values today who you are, and what you used to be is not what he has declared you to be, and what he is will make sure to prove what you can be in the future but it doesn't end there he revealed say it with me he revealed say it oh god help us he saved he washed he poured he made us right that's the next verse because of his grace he made us right in his sight and gave us the confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Wait, I bet there's a lot of people that believe you and I should not get to go to heaven, but their belief does not change God's truth. But there's a lot of people that look at your life and might say God could never use them, but their beliefs do not change God's word. He's made you right. And the Bible says this is trustworthy. It's a saying, and I want you to insist on these things, teaching these things so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. A sermon won't change your life. Getting involved in service. Well, you know what this passage says? It says the lost are pretty obvious with their actions. We used to be says that Jesus is pretty obvious with his actions. But God revealed, saved, washed, poured into. Oh, thank God he made us right. Would you agree with me that it's the church that is missing? That it's time that we become obvious with our actions about who we are. I'm not afraid to stand with Israel. I'm not afraid to stand on the word of God. I'm not afraid to stand saying there is a moral right and a moral wrong. I am not afraid to stand there is a man and a woman and there's not an interchange. Not afraid to stand and say there is a heaven, there is a hell. I'm not afraid to tell you that there is eternity. The truth is this, telling you and living as if it's real are totally different things. I just wanted to challenge you with a trustworthy saying so that we can start seeing God's people devoted to doing good things. That's what it takes. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody look around. My hope and prayer is that as God spoke today that you could take something. And I don't know what it would be, but I bet it's going to be different for all of us. But how many of you can honestly say you heard God's spirit speak to you in some shape, form, or fashion today with some truth or some calling, some inspiration. Would you slip your hand up and say, yes, that was me. Would you raise your hand? And I want you to do this so that you can commit that to God and say, God, don't let me forget these things. 
How many of us today would be honest and say our faith needs to be taken a little bit more seriously? Would you join me in slipping your hand up? I'm going to join my, my faith needs to be taken a little more seriously. How many of you would be honest and join me as I confess today? That I need to think a little bit more about the eternal things and a little bit less about temporary stuff. Would you slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. How many of you would raise your hand in conviction with me and confess today that we need to care about lost people a little bit more than we do right now? Sharing the word of God a little bit more than we do right now. How many of you with me would slip a hand up and say, I need a more consistent way of living out who I am as a child of God as opposed to the way I've been living? Would you slip your hand up and say, God, help me to be consistent in my life? God, help us. Church, look at me and we'll close. Stand with me. Grab somebody's hand. Listen to me on Facebook. We'll close with this. The clock is ticking. And I believe in our world, time is running out. The return of Jesus Christ could be imminent, meaning any moment now. We got to change the way we are church, the way we do church, the way we live out church. Because I fear that many people that we supposedly care about would be left behind if Jesus showed up today. That should matter to us. So I'm going to pray for you, pray with us that we'll care more for the souls of people around us. Amen.